Welcome to Hormone Health Podcast, brought to you by Georgia Hartman and Chloe Sheehan. This podcast is an extension of Hormone Health Studio, which is our naturopathic clinic based here in Newcastle and online. We're just two naturopaths who love a laugh, coffee, croissants, and conversations about real people with real health concerns. Nothing's off limits. We're here to educate you on what's happening in your body, share emerging research, and debunk buried health misconceptions. So sit back and let us do the talking. Chloe, can you believe that our Pink Elephant's Funking Epic fundraiser is only seven weeks away? Six weeks. I don't know now. It's keeping me up at night. Is it? Yeah. My dance moves. I'm thinking about my dance moves (laughs) on the dance floor. No, I think it's just like, you know, it's the party jitters, pre-party jitters. It's like you likened it to planning a wedding. I mean, I'm not married yet. And to be honest, that's like so far down the list of things now first is get through the day but you likened it to like planning a wedding and I actually really enjoyed planning my wedding I loved the whole thing I sort of I was like okay these are all of my jobs will you can oversee them but I'll still have the final say (laughs) did he have much of an input like like with flowers and music no No. he was there for the decision making but I (laughs) I thought you were going to say he was there on the day yeah in true Capricorn style I just completely took over and absolutely ran with it and I loved it yeah Yeah. did you have a DJ or did you have a band we had the best DJ ever DJ stylus or DJ vintage stylus and they um, they're from the south coast in Sydney and they bring like their whole DJ set up and they just play vinyls the whole night. It was so much fun. Fun. And that's why we're getting them for the fundraiser. Okay. I wasn't sure whether they had played at your wedding or whether you they put you in touch with these people. Okay. It's, no, no, it's no. All they, in one. they played at the wedding and then because we had their music going until midnight and then they were like, okay, time for one more song. And I went up and I was like, okay, we're going to play for the final song, Darude Sandstorm. <laughs> and it was so good fun yeah yeah your wedding did look fun yeah it looked beautiful at your wedding at one point i had my shoes off dancing in the dirt so if that's what that's the sort of style we're going for here yeah i'm really excited i know i always talk about the big disco ball but that is really actually what i'm excited (laughs) about i don't know now i'm nervous that i'm going to get disappointed by this really big disco ball but but the disco ball is a meter by a meter it'll be suspended from the ceiling turning that's the vision i don't know Mm. hopefully i hope it's not like sitting in the corner no 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 it's it's remember we paid extra for it to be suspended (laughs) that's right we did too so for anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about the Pink Elephants Funking Epic Fundraiser is a fundraiser that we're putting together on Saturday the 14th of October here in Newcastle in Carrington at a really cool distillery at Brothers and it's to raise money for pregnancy loss. And also to raise awareness. Um, as people will know, I have had my journey with pregnancy loss and I felt so alone during those times even though it's something that happens to so many people, so many women and couples. Uh, yet you feel so isolated and you feel as though you're the only one who's going through it and so because this is such a a sensitive topic we really wanted to make sure that this event is focusing on the component of that and touching on the fact that a lot of people do experience this but also 
getting this community together of like-minded people who've gone through maybe a similar situation and have fun like Mm -hmm. how many times I can I can think about the fact that I had either been pregnant or I just had a a miscarriage and I would be invited to social events and I wouldn't want to go because I didn't want anyone to ask me how are you what's going on oh you're not drinking how's everything going with fertility I just wanted to stay in my own little bubble of safety where no one could go near me or touch me and I just feel like I feel so robbed and quite jaded at that that Mm. I that that's what happened and like your 30th like you missed out on really celebrating your 30th not that alcohol for me is like I have to have that but it was just I couldn't completely enjoy my birthday knowing that at any minute if I go to the bathroom you know TMI but is it going to be blood or is any cramp that I get is it just a cheeky little gas pocket or is it actual cramps like you can't help but analyze every freaking thing that your body does symptom yeah I just wish I had like so much ignorance but you can't if you go through this once or more you just you constantly analyze your body Mm mm-hmm so we're gonna like we said we're just gonna dance through it i it's gonna be a really fun night and look there's no kids allowed and no way no, i'm really excited when i say that um but fun but also emotive and it's it's you like we just want people to walk away being like i'm so glad i was a part of that yeah fun night great speakers we've got some really great speakers me Um, hi everyone i don't mind a microphone um but we've also got mariam from ask the doctor she openly shares her journey with pregnancy loss uh, as well as um pink elephants um general manager amanda she has also gone through her own journey with pregnancy loss Um, that'll be amazing i can't wait to hear them both speak yeah me too and raffles we've got we've we by we i mean you mostly have pulled together some amazing prizes so when you purchase a ticket tickets are 150 dollars. it includes a drink on arrival if you're not having alcoholic drink that's absolutely fine there's so many options it includes a canapé it includes obviously a donation to the pink elephant support network and you go into a raffle to win prizes there's what have we got so um local jewelers here as some people may know kate and cole uh they have kindly donated a baby in time necklace if anybody is unsure what that is google it it's pretty amazing um it is it's a really thoughtful yeah yeah piece of jewelry essentially it's a pendant to mark um a, a pregnancy loss and so you know hopefully that can go to someone um in need or somebody who would yeah like that from as a part of our our um, donations but we've also got some really great other prizes from local businesses things that are surrounding self-care yeah things around exercise around you know therapies yeah i'm I don't know. Can, can we keep going with I all don't the... know. Is it secret? Is it <laughs> I know. Not? I, I feel... kind of want to keep it close to our heart. Um... Erp Distillery as well have um, have provided two free gin mixing classes valued at $99 each. So, you know, it's a bit of like a, a throw together of yeah. all these amazing local businesses. So we feel really grateful for that. So if you are interested in coming, we would absolutely love to see you there. Roundup some friends um it's saturday the 14th of october you will find all the information on hormone health studio website
Well, today we are so excited because we get to chat with Erin from Female Focus Physiotherapy, who is a women's health physio based here in Newcastle. And we're going to pick her brain all about the pelvic floor. Hello, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us. For people that don't know who Erin is, she is the founder of Female Focus Physio. And after a decade of working in sports physiotherapy, Erin discovered a passion for women's health through her own experience with pregnancy, cesarean birth, and difficulties returning to exercise. And I'm so excited to have you join us, Erin, because I personally saw you during my pregnancy. Well, I actually, with Otto, yes. And with Yeah, Ruby. I met you with Otto, yeah. Yeah, um, far out. That was years ago now. <laughs> and we have ago. so yeah. many clients who speak so highly of you as well. So we're really oh, excited so to have a bit of a chat and ask some questions that listeners may be interested in hearing. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited because I know you both share the same passion for women's health that I have. So I feel like we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah. And I think, you know, we we chose the topic today of the pelvic floor, but I feel like we could just keep talking. I know, Erin, yeah. we've spoken so many times about endo and pregnancy and postpartum. But anyway, if we talk about the pelvic floor, then let's start off with um, sharing with our listeners what are some of the signs and symptoms that may indicate that the pelvic floor needs support? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start because it's often things that um, get ignored or put on the back burner for so long. We see women who have been having symptoms for honestly 30, 40, 50 years before they get on top of it. Um, so obviously leaking urine um, is a big one and that's pretty obvious, but also leaking wind, like not being able to, co- to control flatulence or having fecal smearing on your underwear. Um, I think anal incontinence or fecal incontinence uh, seems like it would be really obvious, but often we can see signs of that occurring early on with those sort of symptoms, um, like not being able to control wind or having to wipe and wipe and wipe after go to the toilet or having some smearing on your underwear, um, having pelvic fatigue or heaviness and basically having any kind of pain in that area, whether that be with intercourse or inserting tampons or just feeling uncomfortable, um, any kind of pain anywhere in the body needs to be investigated and addressed. I did not think about the role of the large intestine in that and I feel silly for not thinking about it that way but a lot of people and maybe me just would assume that the pelvic floor is purely related to maybe like female reproductive organs Um, yeah yep yeah okay that's interesting what we do is actually bowel health so um yeah touching on fecal incontinence but the other one is constipation so we see women with um dysreflexia so basically instead of relaxing their pelvic floor to defecate they actually contract it and that's an issue if you're trying to have a baby and a vaginal delivery it's also an issue if you're trying to poo so women with chronic constipation often um, need some pelvic floor intervention as well yeah it's a huge part of what we look at I love it we're like five minutes in it's like fecal smearing (laughs) I'm like yeah let's go for it (laughs) Uh, yeah dive right in there yeah and I feel like that's 
you know, because we share a lot of the same clients, which is so great. And particularly a lot of the clients that we see are those with endometriosis. And Mm -hmm. what we know about endo is that often you can be diagnosed with IBS a good 10 years before you get a proper diagnosis of endo because of all of the gut symptoms and constipation Mm. and bloating and gut pain are really big ones. So yeah. That's so interesting what you're yeah. even just talking about. But, and I know we've spoken about this before and we've shared actually an Instagram reel on this, but can you talk us through how you approach endometriosis and pelvic pain as a women's health physio? Yeah, well, I think that's interesting um, how comfortable we are talking about like poo and bowel motions and all those sort of things so that's the first thing I think for people to understand coming to see a physiotherapist is that there's never too much information and particularly with endo we will dive into your sexual health your bowel health all those sort of things um, that you may not have spoken to someone about or no one has ever asked you about before Um, but endo and I know we talked about this at length before Georgia but it's driven by inflammation and physio is really really helpful at reducing inflammation in the body whether that be through manual techniques acupuncture um, exercise prescription finding a way you can move your body and reduce the inflammation in your system Um, but we also are really good as physios working with chronic pain in general so physio as a profession has a long history in working with chronic pain conditions and we have really good research now on how to manage central sensitization like the changes that happen at the level of the brain and in the nervous system when you're in pain for a long time so we do a lot of um, desensitization graded exposure um and then the tone of the muscles comes into that as well um, because not just because you're in pain but you're almost in a fight flight response with endo like all the time so you have this increase in muscle tone throughout the body um, but particularly at the level of the pelvic floor that can be an issue so we work on um, manual release so whether that be in clinic doing some digital release um, that we do or showing you how to do that at home with whether it's dilators or pelvic wands or that sort of thing so approach it from kind of like a muscular level a neural level and then Uh, inflammatory sort of level as well two points on that one that you mentioned at the start that some people come to you with experiencing these symptoms for up to 50 years can I ask you do you think that there is a stigma associated with these Mm. sort of conditions yeah why do you think people put up with them for so long yeah absolutely a stigma and embarrassment that people don't feel comfortable talking about leaking your eye and painful sex But also the fact that it's been normalised for so long and by health professionals as well, it's been really normalised women coming to their GP or their doctor, whoever it is, saying, you know, I'm having um, pain with intercourse and the doctor's like, oh, well, you just had a baby, it'll get better, have a glass of wine. Or, you know, I'm which is actually a recommendation that we've heard. Like, it's not like absolutely. And this is not something that's happened in the past. This is something we hear on a weekly basis you know, um, that, you know, you've had a baby. So of course you're going to leak a little bit when you go for a run. Like it's so normalized these things, um, that women just accept it. And the really sad part about that is the treatments are so conservative, like non-invasive, really simple things they can work into their routine. Um, like you find the difference that good gut health and nutrition makes, we find the same thing with appropriate 
um, therapy and exercise, these women get amazing results. And I see women after one session who have dramatic improvements in urinary leakage, sexual pain, all that sort of thing. So um, that's the great thing about podcasts and social media. If you can get the message out there that if you are having these kind of symptoms, there is absolutely a plethora of treatments available and very successful treatments. And the second point with that, you mentioned um, digital release. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because maybe for somebody who may have heard about what pelvic floor uh, physios do or maybe, you know, have questions around that, can you explain how that fits into a part of your treatment protocol? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, doing an internal pelvic exam is a big part of how we gain information about what's going on with a woman's pelvic health, but that might not be something that you consent to, or it might not be something that you want to do on the first session. So we have a very thorough written consent form. So you have some stuff to read through before you come in knowing what we'll do, but Basically, a digital exam is using one to two fingers to palpate through the vagina, the pelvic floor muscles um, and the actual pelvic organs um, if we're assessing for prolapse. Um, And it sounds quite intimidating and invasive, but we try and make it as comfortable as possible. And it should never be painful, even with our pain clients. We try and make sure our assessments are never painful. And it can be such an important thing particularly if you've been experiencing symptoms for so long and not just endo clients but anyone with chronic pelvic pain SAJ pain um, hip pain and it can be the first time someone's actually put their finger on your pain and it's like this light bulb moment for women and they're like oh my god that's my groin pain I've been having for the last like 15 years that I've been to physio and chiro and everything for and it comes from that like internal tension in the pelvic Mm. muscles Um, so it's not essential and it's something that we might have to talk about and we might have to sort of build up to particularly if you come from a pain history or a trauma history but it is a very very helpful assessment and treatment tool that's interesting because like some research that I was looking at around sort of the statistics of of pain with intercourse they were saying that up to three in four three in four women will experience pain with intercourse at one or more point points in their life which is a lot like that's a lot of people whether that be you know a one-off pain or more long term but you're right it comes back to the fact that this is more of an an intimate concern and where do you go sort of go to seek that Mm, help yeah help yeah and the literature I think is reassuring um particularly with postpartum sexual pain it's very very common but it does tend to resolve within 12 months and I think that's why it's probably been normalized But 12 months is a really, really long time to be having painful intercourse and it can really instill like negative pain behaviours, like feeling apprehensive about um, penetration and starting to get an increase in muscle tone. So we don't want to just wait a year until it gets better. Um, And then there's those women where it potentially doesn't improve. So we want to try and intervene early um, with some really simple techniques and try and, yeah, get some relief early on. So on that, when do you like to see someone after they've had a baby? At what point? Usually we say around the six-week mark, um, but it does differ. We want to wait till all the lockiest stops so there's no infection risk of doing any kind of exam. But also we want you to be in the headspace to be able to, you know, take on 
any homework we give you or any advice we give you. So some women aren't at the capacity to even fathom an appointment at six weeks. And if you're at home resting, drinking enough water, you know, taking care of yourself, we're more than happy to leave it longer. Um, but we definitely want to see women before they're returning to exercise and if they're having any symptoms of leakage, pelvic heaviness, those sort of things. Um, so we can assess for any prolapse risks and, yeah, put some interventions in place. Something fascinating fascinating that in terms of what you said was these muscles can grow sort of like hypertonic. And, and mm. maybe when we people sort of assume talking about pelvic floor, they think about a, a looseness. Yes. But there's just as much of a concern with tight muscles. Can you talk a little yeah. bit on that? Yeah, I think the awareness of that has really grown in recent years. Um, and I guess it's not just um, for birth preparation. That's a big time we say women who are concerned about being able to lengthen their pelvic floor. And I think birth education has improved so much that women do have a bit more comprehension that their pelvic floor is going to have to lengthen to accommodate this baby. Um, but we see clients with like the chronic pain conditions like endometriosis and um, sexual pain clients and constipation clients. Um, but then those random ones that we often get sent from our local physios, uh, sports physios that we work with, where women have had chronic hip flexor pain or um, groin issues or SIJ issues. And it actually comes down to a tight pelvic floor being a part of that. I so, have no idea. I've got yeah. chronic and you're gonna hate me as well in terms of I'm the sort of person that's like better go to the toilet just in case yes yeah, because you know it's like that's not really from what I've heard and and what I've seen also on your Instagram there's a, about different behaviors and of what you do throughout the day can impact and how you exercise as well can impact your pelvic floor health a hundred percent. And probably a bit of a pet peeve of mine is why people think about the pelvic floor muscle as being this completely different thing to every other muscle in your body. It's exactly the same. Like your hamstring can be weak. It can be tight. It can be, um, or a strong, flexible, mobile muscle. And we want the pelvic floor to be the same way. So it needs to be, uh, mobile and strong to give you an efficient contraction. So interesting. And I think, I, I don't know, you probably don't remember my <laughs> case during <laughs> pregnancy, but I had a hypertonic pelvic floor when I was pregnant with Otto. And I remember you saying to me like, yes, um, you know, pelvic floor exercises are important, but specifically for me, it was more of the release and like releasing the tension. And I think, you know, I was going to say, I was so stressed back then. I don't think I've changed. <laughs> Not compared to now. <laughs> no, your life's way less stressful now, George. <laughs> yeah, exactly now. Uh, but can you talk us through what pelvic floor exercises look like? And I know this is going to vary depending yeah. on, you know, case to case, but just for anyone listening and they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about when you say pelvic floor exercises. Yeah. And that's the problem. It does have to be individualized because if you're someone who is on the hypertonic side of things and you're like, oh my God, I'm leaking. I've got to do my Kegels. And you're sitting in the car at the traffic light, like squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. You're probably going to make this situation worse um or the ancilla chairs or pelvic floor chairs that are around which definitely mm. have a place and i'm a big fan for them but if you've jumped on one of those to try and fix your leakage and you've been hypertonic to start with it's actually going to be worse so an assessment is a great place to start but if you're just trying to find some awareness of whether you're doing the right thing 
Um, the best cue I can give you is holding in a fart. Everyone knows what that feels like. Like as if you're in a room recording a podcast and you're like, oh, I really don't want to do it now. And you kind <laughs> <laughs> of hold it in. And so your tummy should be nice and relaxed. That's probably the biggest mistake people make. I see them straight away grip their tummy. Mm. So it should be nice and relaxed. And you just like squeeze that back passage and you can feel everything kind of tighten and lift. And that's your pelvic floor doing that. Stop doing it. I'm full of face, don't I? <laughs> okay. And then to contrast that, what are some things that may worsen situations? You mentioned like um, tightening the tightening the pelvic floor when it's already tight, but what are some other behaviours yeah. that you see that may be at the detriment of pelvic health? Uh, pelvic yeah. floor health. And you touched on one of them before, which might be a nicer reminder for you, but just in case we. Um, if you're going to the toilet really often when your bladder's not very full, it makes it more sensitive. So it feels like it has to go to the toilet all the time, even when there's only a little bit of urine. Um, so people often say, oh, I've got a small bladder, but everyone's bladder is the same size. It's just you've trained it to become more sensitive and it thinks it can't hold a lot of urine. Um, so just in case wheeze, doing power wheeze, like trying to push it out really fast. Oh. Um, <laughs> I've never done a power wee. Maybe because I'm not super competitive. That's probably because you do it so often that, like, it. You know, yeah, I don't have trying to like. I don't have the. Yeah, the gusto behind it. Yeah, really busy people like teachers or nurses. You know, if they've ducked out of the classroom to quickly go to the toilet, and they're like, "Oh my god, I've got like 30 seconds before I have to get back to my class." Um, and same with bowel motions. So we don't want any kind of pushing or bearing down on the toilet. Um bowel health is really important for bladder health as well so managing any constipation any IBS issues um they're probably the big ones and then obviously your water intake not drinking too much um is a big one I don't know whether you guys see that in clinic but everyone has kind of been educated about hydration so well that we see women on the other end of the scale and they're yeah. drinking like three and a half four liters of fluid a day and then wondering why they're rushing to the toilet all the time um so trying to get that fluid balance in the middle there somewhere because being dehydrated or being overloaded can be an issue for your bladder completely it's any too much of anything is too much of anything yeah yeah what about can you talk us through the pelvic floor during pregnancy and kind of you know what happens during pregnancy what are the common signs and symptoms during pregnancy that could be related to your pelvic floor yeah, so going to the toilet more often during pregnancy is actually quite normal because of hormonal changes and then the pressure of the uterus on the bladder. So um, we're not concerned about that if you feel like you are starting to go to the toilet a bit more often, as long as you feel like you can hold it and you're not like rushing all the time. We still don't want any leakage. Leakage during pregnancy is a big indicator for leakage after pregnancy. So it is a sign that you might need to start working on those pelvic floor muscles and that get that closure around the urethra a little bit stronger. Um, I think women worry about their pelvic floor with exercise during pregnancy, um, but we know really the big modifications you need to make for exercise are just for your comfort more than anything, like because of the changes in your posture and your bump and get like, you know, lifting weights around a belly bump can be more difficult. Um, and your technique is important. But if you're having a good pelvic floor contraction and you've been doing this exercise for a really long time and you're not having symptoms, generally it's quite safe to continue whatever exercise regime you've been doing. Um, 
And then in the third trimester, we actually want to see the pelvic floor start to drop and lengthen. So um, it's a little hard to visualize, but if you think about your pelvic floor muscle covering the base of your pelvis, it should drop a good two or three centimeters in preparation for the birth. And that's something we can actually measure in clinic. Um, so if we've seen you earlier in pregnancy or pre-pregnancy and we know where your pelvic floor sits around that sort of 34, 35 week mark, we should start to see that release happening and start to see your body preparing for birth. So interesting. But it's like anything, you know, it's you can't just expect to do one gym class and and know everything at the same um, mm. what I'm hearing with um physio during pregnancy. There's got mm. to be stages in which your body's adapting and changing and yeah. yeah, for sure. Um and if someone is having symptoms through pregnancy, then we do like to see them more often, like if you are having leakage or heaviness or anything like that. But often we'll see women just for a quick check, make sure they can find their pelvic floor muscles, they can let them go, that they're accommodating for any changes that they need to make in their exercise, keeping any aches and pains under control. And just having that little bit of information and education can make your pregnancy like so much more enjoyable. Yeah. Talking about things that are normalised, like pelvic pain and back pain during pregnancy everyone's just like oh well yeah you're pregnant you have mm -hmm. to deal with that but making small changes to your posture and your education and your support system can make a big difference when do you like to see people during pregnancy like I know we like say someone who's asymptomatic you know they're not experiencing any leakage or anything I mean I often refer people when they're in their second trimester but now I'm like oh actually when do you like to see them during pregnancy yeah, and this will vary between pelvic physios. There's no set rule, but at our clinic, we don't do an internal exam before the 20-week scan just to mm -hmm. ensure there's no issues with placenta position or shortened cervix or anything like that. So if having, someone's having symptoms earlier, definitely, and we'll do an ultrasound assessment where we use our ultrasound machine either over the perineum or over the abdomen to get an assessment. Um, but if someone just wants to check in and it's more for sort of birth preparation, prevention for postpartum planning, second trimester is perfect after 20 weeks. And then like a birth prep appointment at 34, 35 weeks can be really nice as well. And we go through perineal massage and pelvic floor lengthening and active birth positions and all that sort of thing. Yeah, beautiful. And then heading into postpartum, uh, one of the big questions is how do you support your pelvic floor postpartum yeah that's such a good question and it's interesting um a research update came out this year that the most important thing in the first six weeks is not doing pelvic floor exercises it makes no difference whether you're doing them or not so in the first six weeks it's drinking enough water staying hydrated resting having your meals planned out and eating adequately um looking after your mental health and bonding with the baby so all those sort of things will help support your natural recovery. So things like perineal tears, episiotomies, just that lengthening of the pelvic floor, we're just relying on our body's natural ability to recover for that to lift and to heal. Um, but we can optimise that by supporting our body with good nutrition. And when I say rest, ideally being horizontal because if you're standing up a lot, if you're walking a lot, there's just a bit more pressure on those tissues that have already had to really lengthen and stretch. So getting horizontal, getting flat as much as you can, um, yeah, and just really calling on all your resources and all the support you have to try and rest and eat well and drink lots of water, take your supplements, all of that good stuff. 
Yeah. And then if your pelvic floor requires a bit of rehab, then we do that after the six-week mark. Yeah, great. And then, you know, as you return to exercise or start to be more mobile and active and start to experience symptoms, then, you know, sure, that's obvious reason to get checked. Yeah. And- yeah. Sorry, Erin, you're gone. I was just going to say often women won't feel symptomatic until they start returning to their normal lifestyle a bit more because your pelvic floor might be quite adequate to, you know, walk around the house and pick up baby and that sort of thing, but it needs to be strong enough to meet the demands that are being placed on it from above. So it might not be till you're back in the gym and you pick up a 20 kilo barbell and you're like, oh, okay, that didn't feel good or I just leaked a little bit. Um, because like any muscle it just has to be strong enough to meet what you want to do and we have like very specific assessments in clinic where we try and match those two things up and we say yeah your pelvic floor recovery at this stage you'd be fine to jump into a pilates class but let's keep the weight at six kilos let's do low impact and then reassess so we can actually give you very specific guidelines about your exercise from where not just your pelvic floor but your abdominal recovery and how the rest of your support system is working. And so for people who have gone through that and maybe are still dealing with some pelvic floor concerns or they're entering into that sort of perimenopause, menopause um, stage and changes, what are some changes that people may experience during that time that they should be cautious about or maybe seek support for? Yeah, it ideally having a pelvic floor assessment at some stage before perimenopause is ideal because how much pelvic floor support you have through your lifespan will determine your risk for prolapse. I mean, there's other things that come into it as well, like um, genetic history and tissue elasticity and body mass and chronic constipation, all those sort of things. But if we assess your pelvic floor and say, actually, it's still sitting, you know, a little bit lower because you've had three vaginal deliveries and maybe your muscle strength could use a little work we can put preventative things in place whether that be pelvic floor exercises or a pessary to support those tissues to prevent a prolapse happening rather than waiting for menopause when you have this huge estrogen drop and the Mm. tissue health deteriorates in the vagina and in the pelvis and then all of a sudden women experience prolapse symptoms Um, and at that stage we're looking to manage the prolapse rather than preventing it from happening if that makes sense yeah completely and I guess I'd just touch on it as well but you mentioned um like when we're talking about pregnancy not all those pregnancies end up in a live birth are you do you see people who have suffered pregnancy loss as well in terms of clients to support pelvic floor yeah absolutely unfortunately um in the past couple of years I've had some really tragic cases that we've supported women through who have ended up um, experiencing infant loss but then also having a lot of pelvic floor trauma Um, so that is such a hard position to be in and we're trying to support these women physically when there's such an emotional and mental load as well Um, I would say early pregnancy loss in the first trimester we don't see so many impacts on the pelvic floor but definitely the late pregnancy loss and infant loss and stillbirth I mean, it's just as much impact on your body as any other kind of delivery. Um, so we have definitely been supporting some women through that as well. A lot of reasons 
we've mentioned for people to prioritize their pelvic floor and and like you're saying with endometriosis with pregnancy through all stages throughout the life your pelvic floor health needs prioritizing yeah yeah and like I said it's something that you do need to make lifelong good habits and you guys know how hard it is and I know myself after having appointments with Georgia and I still haven't cut my caffeine intake down. I'm going to ask you about me, that actually. Me either. <laughs> yeah, but um, trying to put good habits in place can be really difficult, but it does make a really big difference. So um, doing it at a time when you feel like you have the capacity to do so. So I do want to take the bonus, like the pressure off women a little bit and don't feel guilty. Like if you've got three kids under three and you're working and like life is hectic and you don't have symptoms that you're concerned about. Yes, I would still at some stage suggest trying to prioritize your pelvic health and maybe getting an assessment, but do it at a stage where you feel like you can take that on board and you can put some things in place. Um, But we do try and make it as easy and as simple as possible as I know you guys do say like what does your day look like where can we fit these things in how can you find that time for yourself to do your dilator therapy or to do your pelvic floor exercises Um, and it might not be something that you have to come in you know on a weekly basis we set you up with a plan and try and make these things really practical um, and something that you can continue with long term that's been really interesting so insightful I can feel like I've learned so much yeah me too oh good (laughs) yeah I definitely need to work on my just in case wheeze. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah hopefully you've taken something away from oh, that. Yeah, completely. We would love to finish the segment with a quickie in three. In terms, we've got three questions that we would love to pose to you. Georgia, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, Erin, and actually I've wanted to ask you this for a while. If you weren't a physio, what would you be? Um, that's really hard because I've studied, started studying physio when I was 17 and I haven't looked back and I absolutely love it. But during high school, I'd say I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and my mum was a teacher. I've got so many friends that are teachers and they're all like, oh my God, don't do it. Um, but I feel like that would be <laughs> such a rewarding job. I probably would have ended up being a high school biology teacher or something. Ooh, yeah. Or a PA nice. teacher. I can just yeah. I can picture it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, making sure that you're prioritizing your breaks, though your urine breaks. Yeah, yeah. no power yeah. weeks. Is that what you call toilet. it? Call yeah. Them. yeah, yeah, drinking enough water and going to the toilet regular intervals. <laughs> when I wrote this question, it seems a lot more hectic actually saying it. But your ultimate death row meal? <laughs> um, probably my go-to if. I'm home alone and I get to choose whatever I want to eat is a really good pad thai. I'm mm. big fan of Thai food um, and a glass of Chardonnay. Nice. Mm. I could have just mm. said your favourite meal. Yeah, favourite meal. Like, yeah. It's death row. It needs yeah. to be really hectic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably a super common answer for like, oh, any, any type of meal. meal. Yeah. 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 Surely there's some sort of dessert at the end though, yeah? I'm not a sweet yeah the wine but I feel I'm like dessert's different to wine no I would I would always go a cheese plate like if we're out to dinner and everyone's having dessert oh. I'm like the person that orders the cheese plate I'm a big savory person I'm like where's that sticky date pudding with vanilla ice cream and <laughs> butterscotch sauce yum. Yum. <laughs> okay and finally what's your favorite type of condition or type of client to work with and why um 
I do find working with sexual pain clients so rewarding. One, because there's no one else that does what we do. Like we provide this service that's so unique and so impactful. Like it's a condition that impacts women's self-esteem, their relationships, like every facet of their well-being. And within a couple of sessions, um, I actually had this really beautiful message on Instagram this week and it was like oh my god I just had spontaneous pain-free sex with my husband for the first time in like four years and it's honestly yeah yeah, it's life-changing like to be able to help women so I would have to say I love seeing those kind of clients that's yeah that would be so rewarding wouldn't it because it does impact so many aspects it like impacts your sexual desire and libido your self-confidence your relationship Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah amazing if people want to find you where are you located or even online on socials? Yeah, we're in Lambton in Newcastle, which is pretty central. But the best place to um, get information is probably on Instagram. We're pretty active there at Female Focus Physiotherapy. Um, but you can Google our website as well. And do people need a GP referral to come and see you? No, they don't. So, yeah, you can self-refer. We do private health fund claims. Um, and, yeah, you can just book online and show up. Amazing. Thank you so much, Erin. I was so excited to get you on. And of course, (laughs) I learned more than what I thought I would anyway. So that was so insightful. But thank you so much. Awesome chatting with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, leave us a review and follow us on socials. We'd love to hear from you.